Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, it's State of State. We got your Nittany Line update. It's a football discussion with Tom and Justin. So kick back and press play. With former Penn State and NFL defensive back Justin King, I'm Tom Hannafin. This is State of State. This podcast is presented by Bet Online. The only people that don't get time off this time of year are pro athletes and the fine folks at Bet Online. With the NFL, college football bowl season, and the NBA in full swing over the holidays, Bet Online isn't taking any time away, all to make sure you have all the up to the second odds, news, and info. Head to Bet Online today and remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. State of State is presented by Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, everyone. And now that the dust is settled, we can hopefully unemotionally <laughs> address everything that happened yesterday in Penn State's lost oldness in the Peach Bowl. Thank you all so much for joining us live here on our YouTube channel this morning. This will post on our audio only platforms in a matter of moments. Like, comment, subscribe, turn on notifications, rate us. And if you've been following us on X and on Instagram, then you've known about us doing this live show for a little while now. Posted about that yesterday as the game was wrapping up again. Both those Twitter and Instagram or X and Instagram, whatever we're calling it now, at State of State Pod. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Justin, I am actually very glad that we waited until this morning to do this because I attended the game in Atlanta. So part of that was like, all right, I want to enjoy this situation with family and friends. But at the same time, the emotions were running high for every Penn State fan yesterday in Atlanta that I was around, especially hopping on social media and seeing how people were reacting to this, justifiably so. So I want to start this off by giving you the floor because I would like to hear overall what your takeaway was from this game. I mean, it's a mixed bag, right? It, I, it wasn't the outcome that you would want from a winning perspective. I think the defense was a little sloppy from the standpoint of what we expected all season. I think there were some good things on offense that we saw where, I mean, I think Drew played an admirable game, him moving around, doing some different things, showed some of the lack of weapons that we were talking about throughout the season from the outside receivers. So it's like a lot of things that were reinforced, but when we get back to it, it's the baseline level of talent that was missing from the Penn State team. And when we look at it, it scaled back a little bit of just the whole bowl season outside of the playoffs and like the opt-outs. When you go back and you watch the Florida State versus Georgia game, and you see that outcome, right? Like that wasn't what happened with Penn State. So I think there's some things to take away from it when you look at it from a exhibition standpoint, us understanding that we were missing some players, they were missing some players, and just the dynamics are different. So what we're looking at in a microscope is the depth of the team and like how we project moving forward. So I think it just reinforces the different gaps that we have on the roster from a, a threat standpoint, from the outside uh, outside standpoint, quarterback competition next year, going into it and just seeing the different areas of where we need to continue to elevate as a team moving forward. But I don't take too much from the game because I think, I mean, it, I, I just think they're, they're, it's just like to keep it in context. Like even the DB is not playing great. It's like, man, it's their first time playing on a, a live stage. Like that's yeah. not the easiest thing to do when you're getting that many snaps in his first time out there. So, I mean, this is a, some measuring stick moving forward, not the outcome that you want, but I'm not super disappointed in everything that 
when you take in the whole bowl season and you're looking across the board of how bowl games are viewed or even played amongst the board. I mean, look at Ohio State, right? Like when you just see how teams look when they have different pieces, I think when you take it all in the context, it was like a solid nucleus to move forward with and fill in the gaps to have a nice run moving forward. The way the bowl season is structured now and the, the ability for players to opt out, I have no problem with that because I want the players to get their money. I want them to have their health and be able to get their money in the National Football League. I'm okay with that. But there has to be something done, I think, in terms of the bowl season structure, the value placed on these games, and some of the revenue sharing, I think, has to go to these players for them to have incentive to actually play in these games because otherwise you're tuning in for the brand. And I look at the the Florida State-Georgia game last night. That was not the 2023 Florida State Seminoles. That was a shadow of that team. And even Georgia, Georgia fielded most of their players. And then by the second halftime, it was 42 to three. And they started cycling in the backups. And it's like, that was not a true game. It was a glorified scrimmage. It was a thumping, but it was a glorified scrimmage. And, and I didn't feel exactly that same way about the Penn State game. I want to hear your take in that, I'm curious, in your opinion, how much did the lack of certain personnel affect the outcome of what Penn State experienced in the Peach Bowl? I think it affected it from a scale of one to five, like a, like a two, like to be completely okay. honest, like not not completely tipping the scale. But those are like critical pieces. We're talking about NFL guys, like first rounders, like from a key positions, protecting the quarterback, attacking the quarterback, two starting corners. And we look at where we were lackluster yesterday, it was in those different areas. I think there's some things that we can look at from the offense that we can be uh, excited about moving forward or how the offense was looking. And then we kind of add Andy's mixture into how they were using the different quarterbacks, using um, Nick Singleton out in the past game and things of that nature. So like I was looking at it from like a measuring stick moving forward. I, I, I wasn't looking at it from the standpoint of this is the game that we've been all waiting for. Like I said, we've seen right. how the rest of these games played out but i think what to your point is uh with these bowl games i mean we know that the tv sponsors or how everybody invests in these different games they're going to have a, a component in contracts moving forward if players are a part of the collective bargaining that you're going to have to play in these games or you're going to forfeit checks right like that's going to that's going to happen so there's going to be some things that i think that are in place to make these uh these teams start to have their guys play or incentivize them to play because i don't think or just scratch the whole bowl season because like, it's just, it's essentially a scrimmage. And if there's not a truce between the head coaches on how they're going to approach it, like it can get really ugly. Like we saw it last night with Georgia and Florida state, but I don't think that's what we saw with Penn, with Penn state. Granted, I, I think there is some holes and we wanted to play better and everything moving forward, but it just kind of gives a peek of what, you know, next year's big 10 will look like with these new offenses coming into the game and what we actually need from a talent standpoint. I, I was thinking on this all night in terms of the personnel issue. So going into the game, we were aware Johnny Dixon was out. Kalen King was kind of a last minute thing. So that we were at least informed about. I'm sure the players knew about it for quite some time. You knew you weren't going to have Chop Robinson. Olu Fashion, who they kind of played that close to the vest. And I was like, oh, he will be in Atlanta. He was in his pads on the sideline, but he didn't obviously play. So again, the team knows that the public doesn't know that. Ole Miss doesn't know that. At, at least we don't. 
believe they do. So you've got going into the game three defensive starters and you're starting left tackle. Caden Wallace, you're starting right tackle, was done by halftime. Then on the opposite side of the ball, I think Curtis Jacobs was out by somewhere in the second quarter, not due to injury, but I would call it a soft opt-out. And the same thing with Adisa Isaac. He played a handful of series in the first quarter, and then he came off, and then it was kind of like break glass in case of emergency on a pass rushing down. They put him in a couple times in the second quarter, and then you did not see him in the second half. So essentially, Penn State played most of the game without their defensive starters, five of 11 defensive starters, right? And then your two starting offensive tackles. Uh, one was missing the entire game. The other was missing the entire second half. So I, I can't necessarily pin everything on those guys being missing. However, I do want to start with the secondary because you can lend some uh, analysis to this far better than anybody else. Moving Daquan Hardy out of the slot on select downs where he becomes a boundary corner as opposed to that third, that nickel corner that we always talk about that he's so good at being. You have Cam Miller out there, again, who had limited experience even playing boundary corner this season. Zion Tracy, even less experience. So those two had a really rough days, justifiably so. K.J. Winston did not have his strongest day. The rest of the safeties are trying to catch up. And, and to me, it seemed like where Daquan could have been placed, they just were handcuffed. It was like, well, listen, we either put Daquan at the boundary or we put him in the nickel slot. But I saw a base formation of 4-3-2 for most of the game. I'm sorry, 4-3-4. And then it's like, okay, this is a 4-2-5 setup. And you're still playing Manny's defense. And you're doing a lot of cover zero that they couldn't they couldn't hang with old miss and cover zero and, and that again that wasn't the defense that was fielded for this 10 and 2 regular season by penn state so it's just what did you see from lockdown you well i mean i think you're you're hitting on some great points when you think about just the depth and flexibility that premier talent gives you when you have two lockdown type of corners you can do a lot of different things on the defense and when you have to move different people around or you're limited in different spots whether it's like okay who can we move inside whether it's going to be a safety that can make, play that position and you're limited at the corner. And so you got to move Daquan outside and where he's not in his preferable spot because other pieces need to be filled. And it gets tough because I mean, you got a guy like a, like a, like a Tracy that's out there that has a couple of rough downs, but he has a promising future. Like, so I looked at, I mean, even looking at the game now, it looked like a peak inside of a inner squad or a, a scrimmage, like a, cross team scrimmage in the NFL. Like yeah. when you're looking behind the scenes and you're like seeing like, okay, what's the depth of like really what is the team makeup? Not necessarily for what the outcome is, but like again, moving forward, because I was getting texts like, oh, he's at, they're having a rough day. And I'm like, well, it's his first time playing against some old miss receivers. And it's just yeah, you want to see some uh, some better plays made where guys aren't panicking when the ball's in the air and eventually figuring out some of the jump ball situations that were happening from the uh, back end. But again, these weren't it wasn't the starters. But at the, and at the same time, we saw some flashes from like KJ Winston and some other players just running around making plays that you feel good about moving into next year. And so that's what I saw from the back end. It is kind of tough to just step in in the first game and shut everything down. But it, 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 there were like the mistakes that were being made were like a, a feel like, Hey, you got to feel the receivers make the play in the air and do all those good things. So I, I, I just wasn't putting too much weight on the game. I was just trying to see how these guys were be playing that were question marks going into next year. And sure. That probably 
how the staff is looking at to see what holes need to be filled and what kind of players they need to sign the second signing day. Yeah, the uh, second signing day is important. Uh, the transfer portal closes, is it January 4th? Yeah, pretty sure. So, I mean, like, any day now, if you guys want <laughs> If you guys want to go get a wide receiver, a couple wide receivers, some tackles, hell, maybe a DB. I mean, even for the player, but even for the players on the team, I think there's some things that we've seen in the game, whether it was a lack of playing time or how they were being used in terms of the future plans. Because I always look at the bowl games like this is the staff's peak to their future plans going sure. to the spring, right? And so players start to understand, hey, where do I fit moving forward? Like, do I need to jump into the portal? So, like, that makes certain certain rooms. So, we don't really know the situation when it comes down to scholarship numbers and things of that nature when it comes down to their talent acquisition process. But that's something to look forward to to see if that makes any splashes where players uh, got the writing on the wall, like, writing on the wall, like, hey, I need to jump in this portal now. Uh, Josh was very active here in the chat, so let's reward him. Uh, it was tough yesterday to watch Penn State lose Ole Miss. Uh, Ole Miss, like Arkansas, is in a program that Penn State shouldn't lose to but did. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, it, it, it that had been both teams at full strength, like the team that Ole Miss had fielded against Alabama or Georgia and the team that Penn State had fielded against Ohio State and Michigan. I, I think it's a coin flip. It's a 50-50 game. It's a very evenly matched game. I think what Penn State's defense was during the regular season versus the high end, like that was Ole Miss's offense. There, there was I don't believe they had any starters missing on offense. That is an extremely talented group of receivers. The tight end, Priest Corn, as Brad Logan told us, is outstanding. He won player of the game. Judkins, they didn't even really need to utilize him that much. They, he got stuffed a bit there in the first half and then they made adjustments and got him involved much more in the second half. Jackson Dart had himself a nice day, got the ball out quickly, negated the Penn State pass rush. Uh, again, no chop Robinson. Adisa Isaac cycled out very, very early. So you're having deny Dennis Sutton, Zariah Fisher, uh, Mean Vanover, Jameel Lyons play extended snaps in a way that they've just not done. Deny Dennis Sutton looked like he was freaking gassed, and I don't blame him because he's not done that. He's not done that at Penn State playing that many snaps in a game, not to mention the injury to Abdul Carter, which completely changed the way Penn State was playing defense in the second half, and they just weren't able to make certain adjustments. So it's it's a microcosm looking at this game. Again, you can say that Penn State should have beaten Old Miss, but that was not the 2023 Penn State football team that took the field on December 30th. That was a fraction of it. Not to say that it was like Florida State where they had so many opt-outs, but it was like you lost – nearly half your defensive starters by the second quarter. It, it, it is. It's funny because we get trapped in because I was getting texts like, man, you guys need to recruit in the South and come down and get some speed. I'm like, this game isn't – like we're not losing because well, they're chanting SEC in Mercedes. <laughs> like, I was like, that's not really what happened here today. Like, Not at all. Not at all. So it's like we have to like keep the main thing the main thing. That's why I say we look at it in the vacuum or it's like with context. I mean – you showed some of the value of like the players that we have in the pipeline, but it also showed how important it is to have those premier players that tip you over the scale that, you know, make your team a 10, 11, win type of team. Um, hopping back into the chat here again, Josh, thank you for chiming in. Uh, Penn State needs to go with bigger wide receivers, but the new offensive coordinator will have to be more RPO based like he was at Kansas. And I again, disagree with that. But yeah. you disagree. Go ahead. Well, when you say bigger receivers, like I'm just I think that always 
gets guys in trouble because when you think of bigger receivers, I mean, just coming out of high school, you just you find very few dynamic one touch guys that are big guys. Like now you can say like unless you're finding like a Randy Moss, T.O. and like those are Hall of Famers. Alvin Johnson that, does not grow on trees. That, 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 that's not necessarily the case. So like in in college, when you're talking about a space and speed game, you got to put the emphasis on like dynamics, dynamicism, right? Like where it's just like a like a Jahan Dotson or KJ Hamler, like these are guys that do not fit that mold of big receivers where Justin Shorter fit that mold or Jawan Johnson fit that mold. And you see kind of where those things fit in when you target big first over speed and elusivity and being able to score one touch guys. Right. And like, so I would say more so leaning towards guys that have high probability rates of scoring touchdowns and high yak uh, ability because that's the name of the game. And that's when you get into these shootout type of situations that you can have weapons for Andy to use and get guys in space and, you know, move, move the, move the sticks the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh wants more Penn state can be 10 and two, nine and three in 2024. I agree with that. I think a low of eight and four based on their schedule, but like the, the, these new teams from the PAC 12, it's going to be an interesting year, but they need to be more aggressive offensively to combat a top 20 defense next year. That's Josh's comment. Um, yeah, more aggressive offensively. Sure. Uh, listen, they started the game with two running backs, two tight ends and one wide receiver. They did that for a while. There are no wide receivers currently on the roster that scare many defenses nationally. That's a problem. And that was something during the offseason. James Franklin hoped Keandre Lambert Smith. Uh, Dante Cephas could do that and I feel kind of bad Justin like midway through the season I think I asked you a question I was like is Trey Wallace Penn State's best best receiver and I think that's I'm not patting myself on the back I'm actually like kind of I feel bad that that's correct and not that Trey is bad I think Trey is a good wide receiver but considering what the expectation was for Dante Cephas and or Keandre Lambert Smith to both be number ones and to be nationally acclaimed that didn't happen for either guy, unfortunately. It, it didn't. I mean, I think we saw yesterday in the sense of just where like the personnel matches up in the outcome of the game. And yeah, it just didn't happen. I think we even from our big plays yesterday, you see something in like TJ Warren. Right? We just know he's like a stud. So, like those type of things are being validated, whether it's how we use the running backs. And even with this comment from Lisa Carter about the quarterback situation, like I think Drew is like he his talent was evident and the fact that like Bo like he showed things where it's like that looks like a better flow or fit for what we might be able to do right just on how we move the pocket how it's just missed some misdirection getting the different guys in space to make plays but that's a that's interesting yeah uh, the question here from lisa for those of you listening um I would love nothing more than for Penn State to have a true pocket passer, and Drew's talent is evident, but is it possible that Bo is just a better fit for us? I've seen this comment a bunch. We've, we've talked about this all season long because when we've seen Bo get in the game, the offense just seems to work better. At the same time, Bo has not been asked to throw that much. So that tells me the the guys calling the plays, whether it was the co-offense coordinators, or even Mike Yersich during the regular season didn't maybe have a lot of confidence in that part of his game. So I'm not saying that he can't do it, but I think there's evidence in terms of what you call for a guy and what you're comfortable with him doing. Uh, obviously, Drew Aller has arm talent, but the, the problems that were there in high school that have been brought up by scouts for, for years now is that 
his, his footwork can go, diminish when he's under pressure and his accuracy diminishes under pressure. All those things happened against Ole Miss, and it felt eerily similar to the Drew Aller we saw against Ohio State and Michigan. And yes, his stats were better because, again, it was garbage time. It was trying to throw and, and make up the lead. But Drew Aller didn't look good yesterday. And I have yet to see the game where I'm like, Drew took a step today. Drew really took a leap forward. You know what I mean? That's the that's thing when it gets down to evaluating quarterbacks where it gets tricky is that, I mean, like I said, a lot of times where it comes down to snap count, where you have to give guys time to develop. When you're like evaluating quarterbacks or saying that they have top tier talent, there's only a few quarterbacks that can complete certain throws or that can deliver or deliver the ball certain places of the field. And he does that at an elite clip. So when it comes down to when we just say guys getting the snap count, just look at the Heisman Trophy candidates, right? We got Bo Nix. He was okay at Auburn. Michael Penix, he was okay at Indiana. I mean, JJ, like these guys were okay until they got their snap count under their belt and had an opportunity to kind of show what they are. So not to say that he isn't that, but that's just kind of how my brain works when it comes down to evaluating quarterbacks in that standpoint. Because I don't know what Drew continues to develop into because he does some things at an elite clip that if he gets some baseline level things like what you're saying, it, it could it can work. But like you said, if Bo's not passing the ball, that gives you a little insight on how the coaching staff sees him. But we don't, I mean, we played the last game and didn't really run the ball in the second half at all, right? Like against Michigan State. So it comes down to, I mean, I think that's the art and science of playing football and just seeing where it all kind of situates itself. The question comes down to is like Drew the quarterback to lead us to a national championship. Honestly, right now, my gut says no. And that has nothing because I don't think that that's not necessarily because of his ability. I just don't think in the time frame he's going to be at Penn State, this team will mature enough to get to that point. Because now, after this game, not just because of what happened on the field, but projecting ahead with the depth, Justin, I have mild concerns of Penn State making the 12-team playoff. What are those concerns <laughs> It's honestly for me now. It's on the defensive side because you lost your top three corners. So Cam Miller, Zion Tracy, Mackay Flowers, all of those guys are going to have to get in there, and we have to fundamentally change the way we play defense from the Manny Diaz era. Because again, straight up man coverage yesterday just did not work. There, there have to be changes. You feel good about the depth at safety. You lose Curtis, uh, Curtis Jacobs, Abdul Carter. Had a good season. I think it would be safe to say he had a better freshman season, but he is a big part of this defense. You're replacing some pass rushers that you really need to make up for. No answer really was provided in terms of recruiting or the transfer portal last year to replace the size and presence, both literally and figuratively, of P.J. Mustafer. So giving up the run is still an issue. So I don't know if the defense is going to be – the defense is not going to be horrible next year. I just don't think it's going to be what we saw this year, which was – probably one of the best defenses Penn State has ever fielded. So it's going to be a step back. And again, so much of what the offense is going to be next year, it, it hinges on Drew Aller's maturity and can we get playmakers on the outside? Because next year, it's Nick Singleton, Katron Allen, and Tyler Warren against the world. And yeah, you have some other tight ends like Khalil Dinkins and Andrew Rappel-Yay and Joey Schlaffer who have a lot of promise, but I'm like, it worries you. Oh, and by the way, Drew, Drew Shelton, a tackle? Eh, not great in this game. There's a lot to fix, and you lose you lose Hunter Norzad. Um, Sal Wormley might have a decision to make, and 
Yeah, you just there's a lot of moving parts. A hundred percent. Well, we can see what this roster management and talent acquisition process looks like for the team in the new era because there is still a level of development where guys get a lot better from bowl games to the next year. So even when we think of outside guys, I mean, we've seen with Florida State. Keon Coleman wasn't really in the play, or Florida State had a lack of playmakers, and they turned around and sure. you know, had an explosive offense. So we got to see what comes in, two different coordinators moving into the next season. So now just a lot of different moving pieces. So, yes, yes there's a lot of question marks unlike last year where we had a lot of check marks going into the season where we were like, okay, this should be in place. Yes. And we got a little disappointed next year. Let's seems like there's a lot of question marks. So maybe we can get a, a surprising outcome. <laughs> Tis the season for giving and gathering. And with hello fresh, it can also be the season of saving actually save money this month with fresh recipes delivered cheaper than takeout and with pre-portioned ingredients you'll never waste money on excess food justin everybody is trying to save money it's time for the holidays i'd rather spend my money on gifts than tons and tons of food save money and time which we can't get back right especially during the holiday seasons we rather spend time opening up our gifts with our kids and our significant others instead of running to the grocery store fighting people for i mean last minute chicken and turkey i don't know what everyone eats on uh, christmas but thanks for hello fresh for having these you know convenient and deliverable uh services where we can get our grub on yeah, there's no need to fight. Did you know HelloFresh does more than just dinners? From easy breakfasts to start your morning off right to 10-minute lunches or satisfying snacks both adults and kids will love. HelloFresh has tasty choices for every mealtime occasion. And the best part, no grocery store trip required. Go to HelloFresh.com slash LionFree and use code LionFree, that's L-I-O-N-F-R-E-E, -E, for free breakfast for life one breakfast item per box while subscription is active that's free breakfast for life at hellofresh.com slash lion free with code lion free that's l-i-o-n-f-r-e-e -E. hello fresh america's number one meal kit okay. it's like I, I said i think i said it after the michigan state game it was like next season is prove it to me i am setting yeah, the yeah, bar yeah. low <laughs> so i am not heartbroken <laughs> like i am every year it seems uh there let's just no there, is, there, no, there just needs to be some reloading. Like, I mean, I think you're saying some very valid situations or, or things that need to happen for the team to be successful the way that they are. And with the conference realignment, we keep letting that slip through because these teams are like, they're loading up in the transfer portal. They come, they're coming in as dynamic teams already, right? Oregon, you see what they're bringing. Well, you see, you dug like, Ohio state's going to get their problems fixed. You hope because like, they look like they're in disarray as well. So it's, mm -hmm just the bowl game season kind of shows everyone's weaknesses to the, to the 10th power. It, it's a chance to inspire some confidence and build momentum going into the off season. Sure. That wasn't accomplished yesterday. If anything, it exposed, I think what are valid questions. Um, yeah, here's exactly. a question from Chris. At what point does James Franklin actually take full responsibility and take the blame for this? Yes. We're in the process of getting a new OC in DC, but the opt outs shouldn't have affected the team this much. No. Um, I, I again, I having really slept on it and thought about it. I don't know if this was entirely on the opt outs and the guys that you were missing. I think it was a factor, Justin, but I, 
You're just talking about critical positions. Like I, I think that's you should. I think these comments show that you should appreciate the the good players when they're there. Because when there's a drop off, it's like a heavy drop off. <laughs> oh, right? they didn't give up a sack for two years. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like so, like there's a different level of comfort when it's when it's happening. Like even like a Kalen and Johnny Dixon, like they play man up all year, and you've really never seen those those explosive plays on the outside when i mean when one game they gave up 120 yards and we were like what happened to the defense like mm-hmm. but but that's just understanding like it does matter about having special players i mean we're talking about first round talent like those guys do tip the scale beyond the normal x's and o's in football players that are just good or good enough to play at penn state so i think there's a level of hitting on talent i think what we're talking to is like yeah it's about the jimmies and joes not necessarily the x's and o's mm-hmm Always is. Always uh, Josh, is. Josh, another point here. Penn State has at least seven NFL draft picks in 2024. What's going to happen with Keandre Lambert-Smith? Will he move to the slot? Where he is on the field, X, Y, Z, Justin, to me, it doesn't matter. To me, it's a neck-up thing. Because for the first month of the season, Keandre Lambert-Smith looked like he felt like the dude. And by October... Once Big Ten play came around and people started playing him tougher and treating him to a degree like he was the dude and taking him away, I didn't see Keandre Lambert-Smith the dude. I just saw a dude. I think you're spot on. I think that from the even from the question of a question is, uh, I mean, the level of his toughness, right? Like where it's like between the ears because you see he has the physical tools. He's, 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 a, he's a beautiful receiver. He's tall. He's got the speed. He's got the sway. He got all those different things, but it's like he never really has taken over. When he has 50-50 balls or contested catches, it, it doesn't necessarily go his way. And just like that ability to be like, hey, throw me the ball. He never really showed to be that guy this year. But um, hopefully he can, he, can, he can step up a little bit next year, but I think you're spot on. It's, it's between the air type of situation there. And, and you and I have talked about this off air. I wouldn't be shocked if Keandre opted to go to the NFL. And I, it's not that I don't think he wouldn't have success in the National Football League early. It's when defenses adjust to you. It's when you're not the guy. And we've had Derek Williams on here before where he was so used to being the guy. And then he goes to Detroit. Calvin Johnson's the freaking guy. He's getting 95% of the catches in practice and in game. You are not the guy. Life changes, your mentality changes, your approach, your perception of everything changes. So I, I could see Keandre coming back. And, and granted, Dante Cephas has a decision to make. Uh, Malik McClain has some progression to make and that like he got out there a bunch. Amari Evans, Caden Saunders, they got out there. Liam Clifford. Penn State, you can't look at this staff and say, oh, you didn't roll out other receivers. They rolled out everybody. They gave everybody a shot and none of them did anything. Yeah, it looks like there was some, some miss at the funnel of the intake of talent, to be completely honest, because, like, yeah, if there's guys coming in and they're just not operating, I don't think it's like, I mean, this is Marcus Hagan's first year as the receivers coach. And we talked about this at the beginning of the year where there's that there's been an inconsistent stretch of receivers, coaches, and offensive corners on the offensive side, and how they recruit is essentially – the position coach owns that room. So like they're getting guys in their likeness or guys that they prefer from the receiver standpoint with a different offensive coordinator. So now we see just like a mixture of just different good receivers and not necessarily something that cohesively fits with within the totality of the offense. So I think 
I mean, again, the intake of talent. So hopefully we get that situation corrected. And it's going to be interesting to see if Dante Cephas stays or jumps in the portal because I would be disappointed to come and transfer up and not play a snap in the bowl game unless something else happened, you know, but. And, and listen, if there's a disciplinary issue or something like that, we're not aware of it. So that's, right. it is what it is. Another right. point here from Chris, not trying to tell the Clifford haters, quote, I told you so, but at, but at what point do we let these guys be kids, students first, and from a football perspective, focus on the coaches and staff instead? Listen, I, I, I completely agree with that point. Uh, it's, there's a lot to unpack there, but Justin, you go ahead. I always thought Cliff got a bad rap. I always thought Cliff was better than people gave him credit for it. And I, and I think it was more his personality than his actual play because he was, he was a gunslinger. He was who he was. And like, there was a level of moxie and toughness that he brought to the table that you felt comfortable with. Like there was never a time where the moment was too big for him. Maybe you might, like he, he might, he might be too overconfident in certain situations. And then that sometimes irked our fan base, but there's a level of that, that I would ride to the bank anytime besides someone that kind of gets shaky, not saying that, that, that we have going on now, but no, I just I was always been a fan of Sean Clifford and just how he plays. It's just he come the good comes with the bad and different quarterback profiles, and that was just his. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, putting this on the coaches and staff instead, I think the points about Clifford and this are, are two separate points altogether. Uh, and there was the point made earlier about James Franklin not taking responsibility. I, I didn't get to see the post game press conference, but I guarantee you, James Franklin said, "I'm the head coach, and I take responsibility for this loss." So, like that, rarely does not come out of his mouth when there is a loss. He is pretty good about doing that stuff. You work for the man. No, absolutely. I, I don't think he's shying away from accountability. I, I think everybody at Penn State understands the expectations of the school. I mean, it's the, the fan base just from a standpoint is upset with three losses, right? Like <laughs> 10 and three, like we are upset and that's shows the expectation. And I think anybody that works in a coaching profession though, appreciates that because they're at a university and at a place where it matters to everyone. I think you can hear from coaches that work at places and they are still putting the same time, same amount of time and the fan base doesn't care. And the fan doesn't, they don't care if you win or lose. Now, that's a depressing thing. So I think it's a blessing for us to be within this fan base that cares about, you know, 10 and three type of seasons because that's the sports and entertainment business, baby. We are Penn State. We are upset. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's it's just tough. I, I understand yesterday was emotional. I was in the stands and I was like, this is... It's it's rough to watch. It's rough. Uh, you know, there's people in the chat here being like, okay, the SEC versus the Big Ten. There's that layer to it. Listen, Lane Kiffin has a very good team there at Ole Miss. So hats off to them. That is a very good offense. And to their credit, their defense did what Justin King was talking about many people should do to this offense in August, if you have been paying attention to this show, and what Ohio State and Michigan did to great success against this offense is that they sold out for the run, and they dared Penn State beat them in the passing game. And the success that Penn State did have throwing the football came on a lot of fluke, weird plays, some trick plays. It took a lot to get anything really out of the passing game. And you saw Nick Singleton and Catron Allen disappear for whole portions of the game, not because of anything they were doing. It was due to play calling. So I give a lot of credit to Lane Kiffin. They made adjustments at halftime offensively and defensively, and Penn State did not. And um, part of me puts that on James Franklin. 
but it was something you and I talked about coming into this game is that you have four co-coordinators. Things are not going to be perfect on this day and on a day when the personnel was not what you can maximize, like your maximum potential of personnel. It's a recipe for problems, unfortunately, and that's what happened. It, it is, and I'll, and I'll not even combat that, but just to give some context, because I think even when you look at the, at the landscape and scale out a little bit, I deal with different coaching staffs and players across the country, and there's a calmness at Penn State, and when you think of the roster management, the development process, and things going on, where it's slowly ticking up, right? Like yes. Even when we think about like the transfer portal, um, signing day like we didn't have guys that like flipped or turned over or just not making a whole bunch of splash or guys leaving like we retain a lot of players that are able to develop so there's i think a philosophy that's happening where like penn state is kind of committed to the slow and steady type of rise and what we're doing and i and i think I think it's working right when we look across the board in different ways of just how it's authentic to how they want to build their program but i i think is is personally true just got to use the new levers in the in the landscape to make sure that you're staying up with the competition yeah uh, i want to thank you all for joining us live here on youtube again like comment subscribe turn on notifications follow us on x and instagram at state of state pod before we go justin i have a question for you and this has been sitting in my brain we were talking about how bowl season it, it's exhibition games and we saw so many different games this year where it was opt-outs and it, it devalues the experience as someone who flew to Atlanta and just flew back this freaking morning, spent money on a hotel and tickets and all this stuff, had a great experience with friends and family. But at the same time, I'm sitting here and I'm like, why would I do that again? And now I look forward to the 12-team playoff next year, which hopefully Penn State can make. But I still think about, I'm like, now are you going to see a situation where players that are, say, seated 8 to 12, do you then have the situation where players have to make an even more difficult decision and say to themselves and their teammates and their coaches, essentially, that I don't think we can win this thing. I'm out. Yeah, it's going to be tough, man, because I was surprised that there's, there's guys opting out of games that aren't first, second round locks, to be honest with you. Like, that's... That was surprising. I thought that was kind of reserved for, you know, the top, you know, 20 guys. But it's going to come down to bowl games. We're going to have to pay a rant, not a ransom, but like a, a like a, a fee. A salary. I mean, or not a salary, a but an appearance fee. <laughs> a ser no, seriously, an appearance fee, like a bonus to play, like $15,000 a player, and kind of scratch all the games outside of the playoffs and just have it like a pay-for-play type of situation. There's only a few schools at the top level that want to, I mean, that have guys that are comp continuously opting out. But if you put up a bowl game where it's like, hey, there's a purse for $450,000 to the winner, that's how you can make an exciting exhibition game where people want to come and watch. Because I think what, where ha what's happening now is, again, it's an NFL preseason game at the end of the that's day. That's exactly it, what it that's, is. That's right. what we're watching anything outside. And if you don't... And if you want to watch NFL a third a third game NFL preseason game, depending on how the staffs are approaching the bowl game, go for it. But if you put a purse at the end of it, like kind of we did the XFL, like hey, the winner gets five hundred thousand. Yeah, NBA in season tournament. NBA in season tournament. That's how I think bowl games need to start to be structured to get the players to play and really have an opportunity to make money for the guys that aren't going to the NFL. 
there there needs to be significant change within the bowl season structure and a lot of that is on the conferences the ncaa this is a state-to-state issue as well there's federal litigation it's it's just it's very very complicated and i i side with the players on all this stuff is that why go and risk your health and your future earnings for a meaningless game because to a degree that's what some of these bowl games are and i i had so much I had so much hope going into this game because it's like I oh, had the starting quarterbacks. You had a good amount of starters. And then once some of those starters went away, certainly it affected things. And after a while, you have to leave what happened on the field on the field and project ahead to next season. That's really what it is. And do we all lose our minds over a preseason run in the NFL? Hopefully you're smart enough to not. Uh, and then you can see how a team plays and you're like, oh man, we lost every preseason game. We're going to be terrible. Or we want them all. We're going to win the Super Bowl. It's like, that's not how it works out. There's a lot of things that can happen between now and next September, but still there's a lot of things Penn state has to figure out and clean up from a personnel standpoint, new defensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator, and this new conference. It's like, it's like I said, next season's prove it. It's prove yeah. it, man. Sometimes that's a good place to be. I'm fine with it. Hey, listen, um, thank you all so much for being with us this entire season this is the first penn state football season that justin and i have got to do on this platform the last four months have been the best four months of viewership in the history of this show thank you all so much for tagging along with us again like comment subscribe turn on notifications all that good stuff because it helps us continue to do this we appreciate you guys and have a very happy new year Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter, at TheKing1 and at Tom Hannafin. State of State is presented by Bet Online. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.